Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. So as one could imagine, um, in a week like this, as I prepare to continue in our sermon series, um, I started to reconsider some things. Um, when walking through life and balancing the reality of maybe a sermon series that I'd committed to, yet the timeliness and necessity of a poignant message that would remind us of who Jesus is, I came to a place where I felt compelled to call an audible for today. So, I mean, all the announcement and everything that went out this week said, Pastor Chris is going to be continuing the sermon series throwback. He's going to be talking about the Tower of Babel. That is not happening today. Um, because at the end of the, day, end of the day, this is the pulpit that is the Lord's. And when he speaks and he may want me to rewrite a sermon on Friday night, praise God we're going to do it. And so I don't tell you that as an excuse because you're going to get something lackluster. I tell you that because this is a timely word from the Lord this morning that he wants to encourage you with. And I just want us to all be on the same page. God made it really clear to me that this morning we're going to pause the progress in our current sermon series and dig into something that may be completely new for you or it may not be completely new for you. But if it's not new, it's meant to renew something inside your soul, something in your spirit. And so we're going to dig in that to, into that this morning. Sound good? Um, a little story about your pastor because, you know, it's just fun to start sermons with stories. Uh, many of you may not know this, but your pastor used to have a DJ business. <clears throat> Everybody's first question is, well, what was your DJ name? No, not that kind of DJ. Um, I didn't wear like the neon outfits and hang out under black lights with turntables and, and all that stuff. Um, but it was funny because in the last couple of weeks, some students have gotten wind that I used to have a DJ business and they're just grilling me with questions. What? You were DJ? What was it? All these questions. And I'm like, no, not like that. Like weddings and stuff, you know, the boring things. Um, but that, that's a little bit of my past for you. I, I had... A, uh, a DJ business, and it started in an unlikely and seemingly random way. So my junior year of high school, I had a pretty uh, significant athletic injury from football, and you know this was over half my life ago, but I did used to be an athlete, believe it or not, and I had a significant knee injury. And I went to a really small school, so they didn't have budgets for things like after-school dances and all that stuff. And so when I got hurt, they're like, hey, you have a lot of CDs. Will you DJ the after game dances? And I was like, oh, sure, sounds good. I'm clearly not going to be dancing. Even if, let's be honest, if I was healthy, I wouldn't have been dancing. Um, but I, I would be happy to do that. Facilitate a good time, sure. And so it went from this fun doing after game dance things to by the time I graduated and I went to college, um, much to the chagrin of my little sister, who was now a sophomore, they would pay me to come back and DJ all the school dances. My poor sister, her dad was a football coach and teacher in the school, and her brother was, you know, athlete and now the DJ slash supervisor of all her school dances. So um, that it kind of went on to that, and as, as time moved on, 
um, it, people started to get married and had been at maybe an event I'd done or something, and they're like, hey, you should DJ my wedding. And then weddings aren't just playing music, but it turns out there's the emceeing, there's the facilitation, there's all of that stuff involved in it too. And before I knew it, um, I was at the most unlikely places I've ever thought I would go. I'm setting up booths at wedding shows. <laughs> and uh, and I know, I know that may be a shock to you, but I was there. And I, I ended up DJing hundreds of weddings for people all over the state, a few out of state. And I, I just kind of kept growing. And in the early days of starting this church, it was actually a significant way that God provided for our family was that I would DJ at least like a wedding a month as we were getting started and trying to grow this church. So, you know, there's the tent making part of maybe, you know, the Apostle Paul, and then there's the, uh, the DJ of Pastor Chris. And uh, so the reality was that along the way, I had to have all of these little conversations, either with somebody else or myself, about like, there was the, the point where I could no longer do what I was doing or grow it or go to the next levels without having an honest conversation about where I was headed and what that would necessitate, what was needed. Like, okay, we need to do weddings. You're going to a wedding show. Guess what? You should probably have a website. Yes, when I was younger, there were still websites. Um, there would be like the need to invest in better equipment, more equipment, equipment that could do a more diverse level of things. There was all of these questions that would come up as any sort of business grows. And I know some of you are either in the marketplace where you have to think about these things or you have your own business ventures where you have to think about those things. Um, but in that moment, and a few of them, but significantly later when it was like, hey, you're going to start doing wedding shows and all this stuff. I had to have like a little bit of a come to Jesus talk about, is this going to be something you're going to pursue for real? Or is this just going to be that hobby that you do when you need a little like play money, right? Are you going to take this to the next level? Is this going to be something where you might have to hire some employees, where you might have to get new gear, where you're going to have to invest in marketing and all that stuff? And in this moment, I had to make a decision. Is this a hobby or is this a career? Is this a hobby or is this a business that I want to build and see it flourish? Is this just fun or is this something more? Am I just trying this out or am I going to invest in it? Am I just trying it out or am I going to invest in it? And these kind of moments, as you can imagine, are not unique to the business world. You don't have to have a business degree or be entrepreneurial to have to consider these things. Questions like, am I just trying this out or am I going to invest in it? Is this just a hobby or is this something I'm going to take seriously? A much more common experience for people uh, with this question lies in the realm of relationships, and particularly in romantic relationships. There's this thing that we call a DTR. Anybody heard of it? Define the relationship. You guys don't know what a DTR is yet? Okay, we're going to do love relationship series next. Um, there comes this point when you have to have an honest conversation about where are we, what do we want this to be, and are we willing to do the work to make that happen? Defining the relationship. Is this something just for fun, or do you want this to be serious? Am I just trying this out, or is this something I want to commit to. You have to take an honest look of where you're at. You have to examine the relationship, the reality of where it is, where you want it to go, and then see if you're both on the same page and willing to work together to make that happen. 
And today, we're not here to have a DTR about our romantic relationships or our friendships or our job. But today, I want us to examine our relationship with Jesus. I want us to take an honest look at our relationship with Jesus. Now, in sticking with the illustration, I understand that for some of you, this may be a first date today. And that's okay. This is still important information to hear, but uh, you may not know exactly what to make of this. But I assure you, a month from now, you'll be grateful that you get to hear this stuff. A little look behind the curtains, if you will. Uh, you, can, you can sit there. You can take this in, receive it. Maybe you don't feel like you're ready for that talk yet. Like, that's okay. But the reality is the Lord has shown me that, that almost every person in here is ready for this conversation. You may think you've had it before. Jesus wants to have it again. You may think that you're doing great because you're better than those around you. Jesus wants to have that conversation again. You may think, but hey, I'm at church and nobody else in my dorm is or my neighborhood is not, but I'm here. That's great. Jesus wants to see what's next for you here this morning. He wants to examine, have you examine your relationship with him. We need to define the relationship. Find out where we stand with Jesus. And not like a, am I saved or not saved, but am I actually committed to furthering this thing, to walking out the way of a Jesus follower, not just consuming from a Jesus environment. Not just trying something out, and, but like actually committing and investing in something. Like living a life that would warrant living the, f like the fullness of what God has for you. Not just dabbling when it's convenient, but giving everything you can, everything you have to see the mission of God, to see his heart, to see his glory reflected everywhere that he would lead you. That kind of commitment. And I want to look at Christ's invitation today to this. And I'll be using a verse that clearly lays out what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is in Luke chapter 9. Verse 23, Luke 9, 23. It says this, if anyone would come after me, say anyone. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And follow me. I think many of you, in a lot of ways, welcome this DTR talk today because you're actually here and you're ready to move it to a different kind of level or commitment in your life of following Jesus. You're ready to get past the casual and past the convenience into something more devoted, into something more meaningful, something more committed. There's something in you that's like, I just want a deeper level of commitment. I just don't know how or what that looks like. So you're ready for this talk. And praise God for that. But the reality is some of us are also not ready for that talk. Don't give me an amen. We're not showing our cards yet. Some of us aren't ready for that talk. The, the reality is if you take an honest assessment of where you're at, you kind of like the setup you have with Jesus right now. It's comfortable. I mean, if you were to take just an honest look at your relationship with him or how you view him, it might sound a little like this. Well, yeah, he's a nice guy, and I, and I like going to church. Obviously, he was a great guy. And church makes me feel really good. It gives me something to do on the weekend, and it's awfully nice that I can sip some coffee that isn't Folgers or from the dorm room while I'm here. Like, those things make you feel great. It's, it's awesome to be a part of. And you kind of like what you have going. And this idea of being more committed or taking it to a different level, it might make you a little anxious. 
Like maybe when I said that, you're like, oh, what does that mean? What's he going to ask of me? What is Jesus going to want from me? I don't know about this. Is there a quick way out where no one will see me? Maybe that's what was kind of happening inside of you, taking things to a different level. It just makes you a little anxious, and it raises up this flight or fight response inside of you. But what we want to do is we want to define the relationship where it is now. Everyone in the room isn't going to be at the same place, and that's okay. But if we don't define where we're at, how can we make a plan for where we want to be or where Jesus wants to lead us? Amen? We need to be honest about where we're at. Where do you stand with Jesus? Where do you stand? And here's how I want to ask this question. I want to ask you, are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Now, this is a question that I've asked people in one-on-one discipleship and discussions like for years. And it's become so popular, there's even a book called Not a Fan. And they ask that question in there too. Um, But I assure you, it precedes the book, the fact that people need to be asked this question. Are you a follower Are you, or are you a fan? Now, some of you are asking why or wondering why I might ask the question like that. You might be like, wow, why, why does he ask it like that? Because we all say, because you hear the vernacular around here enough, you're like, well, we're all followers of Jesus, right? Like, we're all that. Um, but I'd ask you not to jump to your answer too quickly. And, and I want you to hear me out on this. Because the word fan is defined as this, an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. We saw a lot of fans yesterday, those of you who may have went to or watched the game on the TV. And I witnessed a lot of people that were super fans at the beginning wearing white, black, and tan and had a large hairy mammal on their clothes. And they weren't so much fans by the end of the day because their dedication was in a response to some sort of victory or hype or pride or something that they could have in them, right? Like when you're just a fan, that can be fleeting. That can be fleeting. We know what it looks like to be a sports fan. Watch the games, people cheering, cheering on the team. People may own jerseys, they may own crew necks. You know, that's why I wore this, it's just for the illustration. You know your favorite players. Like you're at the game and you hear people referring to the players by first name, like you've met them and you've been doing life with them. It's like, come on, Bo, that's my man. It's like, you never met Bo Nix. You've never met him, right? Like just calling out names. Maybe a few of you in here have. And I find myself doing that too, especially if there's someone that like maybe I've met or I know someone who knows, I'm really cheering for them, right? I'm like, come on, Bucky! Like I'm just, I find myself acting like I just know these people and I'm so invested in them, but really I'm just a really enthusiastic admirer because I'm not invested in their lives. I'm not walking with them. I have nothing in the day-to-day that is coinciding and going parallel with their lives. I'm just an enthusiastic admirer. We understand the concept of being a fan in sports. We understand that. And here's my concern. Our church, and every church for that matter, has the potential to very easily become a room full of fans of Jesus. We could really easily just be a room full of fans of Jesus. And you may not know this, but Jesus never cared about having fans. That wasn't his goal. He didn't come here so that he would have a plethora of enthusiastic admirers. That's not why he came. Fans were not important to him. See, I think we have this 
tendency to come together once a week and be fans of Jesus. We sit down in our seats. We, maybe we grab a bulletin. Maybe we just scan the website or we're looking at the screen for what we need to know. We applaud at certain times because our faithful leaders tell us to. And somehow we think that, you know, being a fan in these moments and knowing what we're supposed to do to respond to the moments in the room right now somehow like elevate us into some level of, of different relationship with Jesus. We get in the car afterwards, we evaluate the sermon, we give the song selection, thumbs up or thumbs down, ah, I could have been better this week, I, I don't know what Pastor Chris was thinking, I wish Melissa would get back up there and lead again next week. Like We look and evaluate our service like it's the newest blockbuster movie that came out and we're all of a sudden a critic. Is this getting a thumbs up or thumbs down? How many tomatoes? Whatever else. Like We just look at it as something we're consuming rather than something that we're invested in, that we care about that we're following, that we're living out as a way of life. And then we come back and we do it all again next week. Let's see what songs they choose this week. Let's see if Pastor Chris preaches 50 minutes again. I was falling asleep last night. Like, we start to think those things. And I know you do because I do. Because I slip into those things. So this isn't a you versus me. This isn't us. I tell you every time I'm up here, I don't just preach to you. I have to process through these things as well. This is about the condition of the heart of mankind. And last I checked, all of us belong in that category, myself included. So please don't think this is just some, you need to do that. No, I'm, I'm preaching it myself here too. When I'm preparing this, I make sure that there's a mirror to show me where I'm at. I don't come here claiming to have everything figured out, but I come here committed to walk through this journey with you. Amen? Committed to figure out what it looks like to faithfully pursue Jesus together. And I get that, sorry, that was a little rant. I get that some of you in this room are really big fans. You have loved Jesus for a long time. You, you don't even need the words because the songs are written on your heart, right? Like, you just know the songs, and you know when the appropriate time to raise your hand is. You know when the appropriate time to put your head down and hands out it. Like, you got the plays down. You're an amazing fan. You got it. I mean, you're really into this, and you've been doing it for a long time. You don't even need the page numbers in the Bible. You just know where it is, right? You're a really big fan. You're a big fan of Jesus, and it feels good to be a fan when things are going well. It feels really good to be a fan when things are going well. <clears throat> but I assure you, when your circumstances shift, when you experience grief, when you experience loss, when you experience hardship, when you experience relational strife, being a fan of Jesus will not carry you through those things. When we lose a dear brother in the faith and in our church family to an untimely death, being a fan of Jesus does not carry you through that. Being a follower of Jesus absolutely will, but being a fan is not enough because fandom does not carry you through hard times. We can feel really good about ourselves when we're great admirers of Christ. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty to admire about the person of Jesus, the way he lived, the way he cared for people, the miracles he performed, that he was sent here 
to give his life as the ultimate sacrifice for us. Like, that is admirable. But Jesus didn't care about having fans. So we need to be honest with ourselves. Can we really search our hearts and define our relationship with Jesus? And as we do that, there's a few questions that I believe will help us out. The first question is this. Why am I here? Why am I here? There are many different reasons in a room like this for being here, especially on a day like today. And that's okay. Quite frankly, I don't care what got you here. I just pray you don't leave the same. I pray you get touched by the hand of God while you're here. That's why we'll tr- I'll invite people to anything. Like, sure, come, check it out. Well, I don't even want to do that church thing. Not yet. Come on, just check it out, right? Like, I don't care how you get here, but you're here, and it's no accident to God. It's no accident. But we do need to be honest about why we're here. Like, the real reason, not like turning off the actual reason because you want to have something more noble to tell people. Like, you know, maybe your roommate told you, hey, don't tell anybody this, but I'll take you out to lunch if you just come to church with me. Like, just come with me, I'll buy you lunch, and please don't tell them because then they might judge me, right? No, like, that's okay. And roommate, great job. Thank you for your sacrifice and your contribution to get somebody in the room, in the house of God around his people so they can hear truth. That's absolutely okay. And some people look down when I said that. So maybe that happened. I I didn't know. I wasn't trying to pick on anybody. But we got to be honest about it. And and when I challenge you to that, it reminds me of a time when I was eh, 24 years old. And I was in a really rough spot. I had to drop out of school because I changed from a private school, um, really cheap private schools, Willamette, even though this was a long time ago, still really, really expensive. And I transferred to Western Oregon, and it got to a point where I needed more years to complete my degree than the private loans wanted to give me before they wanted their money to start rolling back in. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a year off, I'm going to work, and then I'm going to go back and finish this up. I only got a year left. Well, that year turned into 10, spoiler alert. And then when we moved down here to plant the church, I went back to the University of Oregon, finished my degree, and with a couple of my kids that were alive at the time and my wife, I got to walk across that stage. So praise God. But at this time, I was not in a good place. I was voted most likely to succeed coming out of high school, and now I'm a college dropout. And I'm working three three jobs, all different shifts, just trying to survive. But at the end of the day, I was extremely unsettled, extremely insecure, and I just had no hope for where I was headed. At the same time, my dad happened to have back surgery. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect. Dad needs me to go home and help him right? That's, that's the excuse reason. I couldn't cut it on my own. I was hopeless. I was broken. I needed Jesus desperately to transform my heart, but I could give this other excuse. People are like, oh, you're moving home. Yeah, dad needs me. Yeah. I'm going to go home and make sure he's good. He's going to be laid up for a couple months because of his back surgery, and I'm just so sacrificial that I'm going to move home, live for free, bail myself out of whatever misery I'm in, but it's for dad, right? It's kind of like when people will say something or do something in the athletic realm, like, it's for the kids, right? It's like, no, it's because you want more clicks. Like, let's be honest. But I want you to look at the actual reason, because unless I was willing to say I was broken, I needed an answer, I needed to know what was actually going on in my heart, instead of just saying it was to help dad, I would have never been able to know how to pursue a solution. 
I needed to take an honest assessment of my heart condition at that moment so that I could pursue a solution. So that I could be like, well, I'm hopeless. I don't have joy. I feel like I'm empty and I don't have a purpose. Maybe you need to get back around the people of God. But if it was just, oh, I'm here to help my dad, then I could just get all proud of myself and I'm fine. I'm just here to help. And then I'm not going to actually address the problem that was there. So ask yourself, why are you here? And maybe today you're just sick of being alone, being isolated, without hope. You're fearful of what tomorrow may bring. So you're giving Jesus a try. And I applaud you for that. Or maybe today you're here because some random person handed you a handout on campus or somewhere around town. And you're here. And I applaud you for that as well. I just ask that you will be honest, with yourself at least, about why you're here. So we can address where this relationship with Jesus is headed. Amen. The second question, are you committed? And again, honesty is the key here. These define the relationship conversations require honesty because it's really hard to come together on something if you're just putting up a smoke screen. <clears throat> are you committed to giving a community, and today this community, a try? Are you committed to giving Jesus a try? Or is your commitment level quite delicate? And there's no telling at this point if you're ready to take steps to explore faith, spiritual family in Jesus, or not. And just be honest with yourself about that. But if that's where you're at, then commit to it. And say yes to opportunities to engage in it. Share that with people so they can help encourage you and bring you into those environments. And finally, are you willing to take ownership? For some of you, that's the question that you need to ask. Am I willing to take a step from being a consumer of community to a contributor to community? Am I ready to take a step from I show up and I receive to I show up and I invest? Am I here to get what I need so I can accomplish what is before me this week? Or am I here to help provide a space for others to encounter the living God? Which one is it? Are you willing to take ownership, serving, giving, caring for others because of what you have first received from Jesus Christ himself? Is that where you're at? That's what ownership is. That's not a hobby. That's ownership. It's an investment. Will this be something significant in your life and in the life of your family and those around you? Or not? And the reality is becoming a devoted follower of Jesus takes time. It's a process. It's not something that we just like flip a switch and you're like, oh, wow, this is really neat. No, it, it takes time. It takes conversations. It takes work. It takes prayer. It takes discipleship. You can't just get in the room and it happens. You have to commit to it on a daily basis. If we want to live a certain way, we have to acknowledge that and live our lives in a way that faithfully pursue it. Live in a way that faithfully pursues that. So today, each person in here needs to know this. Jesus gives each one of you an open invitation, an opportunity to follow him. It's not some sort of exclusive thing. It's not like, well, let me see all the small fine print and see if I actually qualify. Jesus gives an open invitation to each of you. 
It's not like one of those like used car commercials where it's like, buy here, buy now. Everybody can buy a car here. And then there's like 17 paragraphs of small print. And unless you actually have the right credit score and you have the right this and residence history and job history and all these things, then you actually don't qualify. But it was a really cool commercial. Actually, let's be honest, used car commercials aren't cool. Um, but that, that's, it's not that. It's not, hey, switch over to AT&T and get a free iPhone 27. Like, no. And then you read later, and it's like, only if you're coming over from a qualified plan from another place, and you're willing to bail on them and pay $7,000 to cancel your plan and come get a free phone from us. Like, it's not that kind of deal. It's for everybody. I want to remind you, Luke 9.23 says, and he, this is Jesus, said to all, said to everybody that was there, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. When making an invitation to potential followers, Jesus invites anyone. Anyone is welcome. Now, when we think about this anyone being welcome piece, unfortunately, over the last number of decades, the church has strayed from this in general. And some of it is like a church can have such a strong culture that there's just ways you do things that maybe intentionally or unintentionally exclude other people. Have you ever experienced that? I know I have going to try out churches. That there's something maybe so strong about the culture that they don't even know it, but I'm excluded from stepping in and joining in because I don't meet those things. Maybe it's a dress code. Maybe it's a political leaning. Maybe it's a social thing that you care about. Maybe it's a socioeconomic status. Maybe it's an ethnicity thing. Like There's just ways that the church unfortunately excludes people and doesn't live out the reality of everyone and anyone is invited to be a follower of Jesus. Anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. It's not like applying to Harvard where you got to have a 4.0 GPA, 32 on the ACT, and whatever the highest SAT is. Now I'm dating myself, but the number used to be different. You don't need that to get into the kingdom of God, to be a follower of Jesus. You see, when Jesus was calling followers to him, there were high standards to be a Talmud, which was a follower, a disciple of a rabbi. There were high standards to that. It did kind of look like trying to get into Harvard because the rabbis at the time, which people considered Jesus to be, the rabbis at the time, their reputation was dictated by the fruit of their disciples. Praise God that that's not how we're viewed in this world, right? If I don't have just the elite Oxford scholars as my disciples, then I'm like, something's wrong with me. That, that was how things were viewed. There was no Yelp reviews for rabbis. There was no kind of word of mouth passing on like, man, this guy's a really good teacher. Sign up for his class. His textbooks are cheap and he's a really fair grader. Like it wasn't like that. But the quality of the Talmud or the disciples of the rabbi were an indicator of how good they were. So it was really uncommon for anyone that grew up in the trades, that grew up without money, and especially if they were a woman, would have any opportunity to study under a rabbi. And then you have this Jesus guy come along, and you guys know this, but he didn't call those kind of people, did he? He didn't go like recruit at the club fair at Harvard or Yale and say, hey, come follow me. There was no pre-qualifications rather than, except for obedience, saying yes to him to follow him. That's the Jesus that's calling you today to follow him, to leave being a fan and become a follower, to deepen your relationship with him, 
There's no prerequisites. There's no minimum GPAs. There's no minimum socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter if you've lived in sin, if you have divorced parents, if you've come from a place where you used to be so against the church and against Jesus, and now you're like, but I really want to follow him, but I'm pretty sure I disqualified myself. False. Anyone can follow him. He's got to say yes. Mark chapter 1. Starting in verse 16, and I flipped the wrong page, so I'm just going to read off my iPad. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So when word gets out that this new rabbi is calling fishermen to follow him, what kind of reputation and what kind of social stirring do you think might be happening? Not like, oh my gosh, there's a new exclusive membership in town, right? Like, oh my gosh, he's only taking the highest level academic people. He's only taking the most cultured and cultivated young men and he's raising them up in the way of the Torah. Like, that's not what's going on here. It's actually really stirring things up. And so when you're trying to disqualify yourself, remember, that you, remember you're in good company, and if you're like, but I'm just a this, or I just came from a family of blue-collar workers, great. Jesus especially likes to use you. If you're wondering, like, ah, I kind of have some anger issues. I, 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 maybe I have a job that the people around me don't socially accept. Well, he had a tax collector following him, socially unacceptable at the time. And he had a few hotheads following him, if you read the Gospels as well. He can work with that. The first people he called were that type of people because he was looking for faithful obedience and he was looking for people that in their weakness his strength could be perfected, not that their strength would add to him because Jesus doesn't need anything added to him. He is complete in and of himself and his strength adds to us, not the other way. Other rabbis needed strong people around them so that their reputation could be built up. Jesus says, no, take what I have and go bring that to the ends of the earth. That's the difference with the rabbi Jesus. He said, everyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. And the crowds began to understand what that meant. My goodness, even me, even me. And it's true. Anyone means everyone. Anyone means everyone. But there's a struggle in the church world especially when we say anyone and everyone is welcome here. Over the last four to five years especially, I've really felt convicted to challenge my consistency in my viewpoints, the way I look at things, the way I speak about things. So when I say anyone means everyone, and anyone and everyone is welcome to come here and encounter Jesus in a powerful way, I then have to ask myself, what about that person, Chris? What, about the, what if this type of person shows up? Would you be okay with that? If this type of person shows up, would you be alerting security right away just to make sure, right? Like, you have to ask yourself these questions. If Jesus said anyone and everyone, we got to be a church that says anyone and everything, and we're going to have to be okay with being a little uncomfortable from time to time because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to use his church to be a hospital for the broken and the sick, not a country club for those that think they have arrived somewhere. 
And so when that person that maybe doesn't look like us is living a lifestyle different than us, is maybe really in despair that comes into this place, like praise God that he considered us a safe place to lead them. Anyone and everyone, even if it causes me discomfort, they are welcome here. And we've got to be a church that can honestly and consistently say, anyone means everyone. What about this type? Yeah, that person. What if they were just camping on the sidewalk and they stumble in here? Yep, that person. Now, they're not going to go serving kids unless we do the normal background check like we do with every servant. But they're absolutely welcome to sit in here, receive a word of God, be cared about by God's people because we know the only thing that solves that is the gospel. And if we're going to put up barriers to keep people from actually entering into the only solution that there is for a complex problem, shame on us. Anyone and everyone. Jesus does away with all of the qualifications that there are to follow a rabbi in his time. He does away with all of them. And that's great news. Because if it was still the same system that was there as when Jesus was coming, turning the world upside down, then there'd be a lot of qualifications. A lot of us, myself included, wouldn't be able to do what we're doing today. But Jesus eliminates the qualifications. But here's the flip side of this. No qualifications means there's no excuses. Like, oh, there, there goes pastor. He's flipping the switch now. If there's no qualifications, it means there's no excuses, right? I can't say, oh, I'm just not smart enough to do that. I don't have enough money to do that. I don't have the right job. I don't live in the right neighborhood. My skin's in the right, not the right color. I don't come from the right geographic region. You can't say that anymore because no qualifications means there's no excuses to responding with a big, overwhelming yes to Jesus. There's no excuses. Because when Jesus invites anyone to follow him, he doesn't just break down the barriers that keep so many people from learning about God. He also gets rid of all of the excuses that people were hiding behind. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm going to be honest, like I can get really good at hiding behind excuses. And you're like, wow, those must be some really big excuses. Yes, they are. I, too, can hide behind excuses, but that is not the way we're called to live. Jesus actually, in removing all of the qualifications and the barriers, also removes all of our excuses that we may try to hide behind. So now the tradesperson, the fisherman, has no excuse not to follow Jesus. Now the dropout college student can't complain about his past anymore because Jesus is giving a way forward. Now they're a mother of four, can't say she doesn't have any time for the rabbi because he's giving her a way to follow him and pursue him. So my question for you then is what may, have, may be your excuse right now? What's your excuse been? I think there's a lot of us that hold off at least parts of our life and parts of faithfully following Jesus because maybe we're busy. Maybe we have too much going on. Or here's my favorite. Once I get through this season, I really want to step in at the next level. I hate to break it to you, but if you find yourself in one of those seasons, you're probably a person that just likes that kind of weather, and you're going to always move to be in those busy seasons, to keep with the weather analogy. If you're busy now, you're probably going to be busy next month, and you're probably going to be busy next year. So what does it look like to inject Jesus into that place rather than remove yourself from him because it's hard? Because it's hard. <clears throat> Maybe your excuse is you've just been putting in too many hours at the office lately. 
Maybe you've just been trying to focus on your marriage. Maybe your kids need more attention. And so the whole Jesus thing just needs to take a back seat right now. Or maybe times are tough and so you had to pick up a second job. And I just don't know where the time for Jesus and community and all of that stuff is. Let me tell you the answer to all of those challenges are not separation from Jesus. They're an injection of him into your life. I'm just working on my marriage, pastor. I don't, I don't have time for life group. I bet you anything, if you two would come to life group together and like actually engage in community, your marriage would be transformed. My kids just need more time for me right now. Great, seek Jesus, his priorities with your time, your finances, and be a disciple so that you can disciple your kids and see how that flourishes. We like to use things as excuses to take us away from Jesus that we actually need him to flood those areas and transform the answer isn't stiff-arming Jesus so I can tend to these things. It's bringing him into them so they can actually flourish and bear fruit and be healthy. The absence of Jesus is never the answer. Fight to get Jesus into all of those areas of your life. Plenty of people may say, I just got a past that I'm not proud of. Pastor, if you knew the thoughts that went through my head, you wouldn't be telling me that I can say yes to Jesus. I'm not telling you that he is. Because he says anyone and everyone, and he removes the qualifications. Well, pastor, I've really kind of lived a crazy life in the party scene, or a lot of sexual sin, or I've been in prison, or I've been divorced, or, you know, I'm, I've, I've done drugs, addiction's been an issue, or whatever else it is. Yeah, cool, you can say yes to Jesus too. None of those things separate you from responding with a huge yes to Jesus' call to follow him with his call to follow him. <clears throat> and this next point is crucial. And this is the final one. It's anyone, but it's also everything. Oh, he had to go there. It's anyone, but it's everything. You see, when Jesus makes his invitation, he welcomes anyone who would come after him. But he also makes it clear that when you choose to follow him, you're giving up everything of your old life. You're giving up all the things that do not honor him, glorify him, that are in line with living a life of pursuing him. So it's definitely anyone, and we have no excuses, but it also is everything. It costs us something. You see, when a Talmud was accepted into a rabbi's school, they would leave their homes, their jobs, whatever was holding them back, and they would go and follow the rabbi wherever he would lead them. They literally, wherever the rabbi went, they too would go. Wherever the rabbi would send them, they would go. So if a rabbi decided to go to the market, his students would follow. If a rabbi decided to go to another town, that meant his students would follow. If he needed to visit someone that was sick in the area, the students would follow. Now, to follow a rabbi named Jesus meant it would cost you even more. Following this rabbi would cost you even more because if the rabbi chose to live without a home, guess what? So would the students. They would follow. If Jesus decided to go eat and socialize among sinners and those that were deemed societally shameful, the students would follow. And if Jesus, the rabbi, did not flee from persecution... The students would follow. Following the rabbi Jesus had a higher cost, but there weren't qualifications, there weren't excuses. There was a yes, and there was obedience, and there's faithfulness. And that's what Jesus offers us. He didn't come to get fans. He doesn't say, Hey, Chris, 
Will you make sure that you faithfully preach a word that would help people be really enthusiastic admirers of me? If that was the case, my sermons would look way different. He says, hey, as a pastor, as a shepherd of my church, my bride, would you communicate in a way, would you preach in a way that helps others follow me closer and better every day? Would there not be a Sunday that goes by that each person in the congregation does not have an opportunity to take a step closer to Jesus? Not to arrive at some destination with him, but, but to take a step closer. Because we are to follow him, not be a fan, just wear his jersey, but not actually have anything wholesome or loving or compassionate come out of our mouths. But to be a follower of him. And it's a beautiful thing because, like, he calls everyone. He calls anyone. He removes all the barriers that were historically there. And even that in our world, we may have reconstructed because humans like really don't like being uncomfortable. So we insulate ourselves with our own boundaries that Jesus didn't call us to. Like He makes this available for anyone and everyone. But it will cost us something. It will cost us the other life. When I said yes to following Jesus and starting a church, I could not continue to live how I lived when I was in college. I could not continue to live my frat boy life that was depressed, that was hopeless, that had no purpose outside of recruiting people into my fraternity. I could not live that way. That had to die. It cost me things. A lot of those friends didn't follow me into discipleship. They're like, oh, interesting, and haven't talked to some of them since. Not because I wrote them off, but there's something about living counterculture that some people just can't handle. And I know some of you have experienced this. So the question that I want to ask you today, I think I've reiterated plenty of times that I believe the Bible and Jesus call us not to be fans, but to be followers. The question for you is, are you ready and are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you ready and willing to follow Jesus? And maybe right now you're like, well, I am following Jesus. Great. Are you ready to take that next step in following him? Are you ready to follow him in all your areas? Are you ready to follow him in your finances? Are you ready to follow him with your time and how you use it? Are you ready to follow him with your relational availability for his people and those that might not yet know him? Are you ready to follow him by getting uncomfortable and inviting lost people into your church family? Are you willing to get uncomfortable by helping to seek and save the lost? Because he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to help you catch people into the kingdom of God. Are you ready and willing to be fishermen for the kingdom of God? Or do you just want to sit on the shore and admire the nice boat that the fishermen are in? Which one is it? Worship team, you can come back up. Are you ready to say, I am not going to settle for being a fan, but I want to give my life to being a follower a disciple of Jesus. And I know that's going to cost me something. And I know there's some things about my life and the way I have previously lived that may need to die, that may need to go away, that may need to be left in the past, not just trying to figure out a way to integrate it into a life of following Jesus, but it just needs to stop. You don't say, gosh, I really like to party, so I'm going to find a way to integrate my party life into my life of a disciple. Like, no, that doesn't work. That has to die. 
but I really like sleeping with my girlfriend. No, that doesn't come along into the way of a disciple and the way of following Jesus. That stops and you pursue a faithful relationship, God honoring that can end in marriage and then you can sleep together for the rest of your life, but it does not happen outside of what God says it's allowed in. It's allowing him to dictate and direct our lives and we faithfully respond time after time with a big resounding yes. So as we close, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Not like a stand up, jump around, come up front type of response, but I'll make it really easy on you. I'm going to ask all of you to just bow your heads right now. No cheating, just bow your heads. And if you're in one of two places, I, for the first time, want to make a decision to follow Jesus and no longer be a fan, then I want you to raise your hand. If you say, I've been following him, but I've been withholding things. I have some things white knuckled that I don't want to follow him with. And so it's way more comfortable to be a fan, but you're ready right now to say, God, I give it all to you. I wanna be a follower with everything I am, with everything I have, with everything I can do, then I want you to raise your hand as well. If you're in either of those categories and you know it is time to step up in the name of Jesus, that it is time to leave fandom and consumerism and it's time to step into investing in something that you know is going to drive you, lead you, and propel you into the future God has for you, then raise your hand as a sign of saying, yes, Jesus, I want more of you. I don't wanna just keep this to myself. I don't wanna just contain this in my heart and go home and listen to some worship music and ponder it. But I wanna say right now, that's me. I'm committing to that. I'm gonna do something about it because Jesus did something for me. So Father, I thank you for every hand raised. God, I pray right now that you would give just an immense amount of courage to each person that's responding to you. God, this isn't a response to a pastor or a message. This is a direct response to Jesus saying, follow me. So I pray you'd give everyone courage, that you would give them power by your Holy Spirit to live a way that honors and glorifies you, that is consistent with these words we read in the Bible. And God, I pray that there would be forward movement in each and every person's here's life. God, would you help us to not stay the same, but to take a step towards you? Would this be a church that doesn't settle for being enthusiastic admirers of a living God? but that gives our life to be followers and disciples of him. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and close in worship.